Hi, I'm Jeffrey. Welcome back to Nightfalls. Come, settle in for tonight's calming meditation and soothing bedtime story. As always, don't worry if you fall asleep before the end. You can drift off whenever you're ready. Come, relax beside the fire with me. As I tell you of a lifelong Mark Twain fan's relaxing stroll along the Mississippi River. As Charles Hainsworth retraces the footsteps of his literary hero in New Orleans, he stumbles upon the famed Marie Belle Barge and is lucky enough to cruise along the Mississippi River aboard her. Though I adore our rowboat here in Nightfalls, Charles's story makes me rather hopeful that one day Devani and I might see the Mississippi together. Before we begin, here's a quick word from our sponsors who make this free content possible. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. For the best way to fall asleep with nightfalls, you can now become a premium supporter. Enjoy the entire back catalogue of Nightfalls classics, all with a rich, immersive and totally ad-free experience. If you love falling asleep to Nightfalls, Nightfalls Premium will elevate your sleep while helping to support myself and the team. We love creating Nightfalls, but without supporters, it wouldn't be possible. Join Nightfalls Premium today in just two tabs on both Apple Podcasts or via the Supercast link found in the show notes for all other podcast players. Your sleep will thank you for it. And so will I. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we travel back through time tonight, perhaps it might be wise to take a moment to slow down and catch a breath after another long day. Get yourself settled in a comfortable position 
and allow your eyes to close. This is your time. Draw a deep breath in through your nose. Hold it for a moment and exhale through your mouth. Enjoy the great inner pause that falls between in-breath and out-breath tonight. As you centre your attention on the sound of my voice. And allow me to guide you through a breathing exercise designed to help you settle into the rhythm of relaxation. Draw a deep breath in. Hold it. And exhale. Sighing out in relief. Breathe in. And hold for one. Two. And breathe out. Breathing in, hold for one, two, three, and exhale. Inhale and hold it for one, two, three, four, and exhale. Breathe in. Holding for one, two, three, four, five, and sigh out in relief as you feel your body settle into stillness and your thoughts begin to slow. Tonight, there is nothing more important than your peace and relaxation. So breathe deep. And as you exhale, allow yourself to be transported to the Mississippi River as our story begins. The sun shone brightly on the streets of New Orleans as Charles Hainsworth strolled towards the river. The sound of chattering tourists drifted to him from many directions. And, as always, there was the background melody of music coming from a variety of cafes and bars. Charles resisted the urge to linger and listen to a joyful jazz song playing in a nearby cafe. He wasn't there for music, on that particular afternoon in September. No, 
he was there to walk in the footsteps of one of his literary heroes, Samuel Clemens, or as he was more famously known, Mark Twain. For a few moments, Charles imagined himself walking back through time and wondered how this area would have looked to the famous author when he had wandered these streets. The skyscrapers would vanish from view and the road traffic would disappear. Considering how much Samuel had loved the Mississippi River, Charles knew he would have been drawn in that direction to see the water busy with flat-bottomed rafts, a variety of small vessels, and the majestic steamboats with their impressive-looking paddle wheels. Charles crossed the road and walked towards the river's edge. He came to a stop. A slow smile spread across his face. There she was. The Marie Belle. A renovated paddle steamboat, looking resplendent as she bobbed gently in the water. Reminding Charles of a two-tiered wedding cake, he admired the cast-iron balconies which encircled the vessel, like delicately laced icing. The black smokestacks on the top deck stood proud, their intricate fluted edges like works of art. The captain and her crew were visible in the pilot house. They gave friendly waves to the approaching passengers. Charles's attention was drawn to the structure at the rear of the steamboat. The huge paddle wheel was half hidden in the river, but that didn't diminish its beauty. The red wooden boards were studded with silver rivets. Some of the fixings sparkled in the sun. Charles walked over to the boat's wooden walkway and was soon aboard. Built just before the end of the golden age of steamboats, the Marie Belle had been constructed right there in New Orleans furnished lavishly throughout in the Victorian style. It was considered one of the most magnificent ships ever built. Crowds had travelled from nearby states to celebrate her maiden voyage. Tickets had been expensive, and only those of high standing were able to buy one. Even tickets for the lower areas of the boat had been beyond the modest wages of most locals. 
Charles had time to wander around the vessel before the journey commenced. His voyage today would only last a short while, but the Marie Belle was equipped with accommodation for longer cruises, which was reflected in the furnishings and rooms throughout the craft. With the mighty Mississippi on his right, Charles strolled along the deck and looked at the oak doors of the cabins on his left. Some of the doors were open, inviting curious passengers to look inside. Charles entered the room and was met by the impressive view of a stateroom the four-poster bed took up prominence in the middle of the room. Dark oak furniture was placed around the side of it. A glass-fronted cabinet proudly displayed pastel-coloured earthenware from the Victorian era. Plush armchairs clad in red velvet beckoned the weary traveller to take a break after a long day of sailing. Looking upwards, Charles smiled at the delicate chandelier suspended from the middle of the room. No expense had been spared on this amazing steamboat. He explored the vessel a little more and came upon one impressive room after another. There was a spectacular theatre in the middle of the vessel, which was two stories high. Private boxes around the second level offered privacy for those so inclined. Several libraries bedecked with oak bookcases were filled with an enviable collection of literary works. Public areas were abundant with the same comfy armchairs which Charles had seen in the stateroom. Several passengers were already settled in them and looked as if they would be happy to stay there all day A viewing deck at the rear overlooked the paddle wheel. Wooden rocking chairs and swinging benches offered more places to rest and do nothing but gaze out at the scenery. There was a spectacular staircase sweeping down from the upper floor. Its carpet thick and swirled in patterns of deep purple and red. Everywhere he went, Charles saw framed pictures of steamboats on the walls. There were many cabinets displaying intricate models of various boats from the past. A slight movement of the floor 
alerted him the vessel was about to move. His fellow passengers sensed the movement too. And as a group, they headed outside and onto the boat's main deck. Charles made his way towards the paddle wheel, which was now slowly rotating in the water. A steam-driven whistle sounded out above Charles, and the paddle wheel's rotations increased in speed, causing the water to run up and over the red boards in a mesmerizing motion. The rhythmic noise made by the moving water was pleasantly soothing. Slowly and gracefully, the Marie Belle pulled away from the river bank. Appreciative applause came from the passengers and many smiles were exchanged. The steamboat smoothly sailed away from shore and began her journey along the Mississippi. With every turn of the paddle wheel, the hustle and bustle of New Orleans was left behind to be replaced with the tranquil sight of the wide river. Charles walked to the front of the boat and sat in one of the reclining chairs which had thoughtfully been placed there. From his jacket pocket he took out a battered copy of Mark Twain's Life on the Mississippi. He'd read the book many times and he knew certain passages by heart. Before he opened the book, he looked out at the great river and thought about its history. At 2,320 miles long, it was the fourth longest river in the world. It originated in Lake Titasca in northern Minnesota and then meandered its way down to the Gulf of Mexico. The river passed through or bordered the states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, Missouri, Kentucky, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Louisiana. During the 18th century, when Northern America was still young, the Mississippi was considered the western boundary of the country. It wasn't long before explorers ventured further west and more states were founded. Charles had looked at satellite views of the Mississippi River and seen how it drifted this way and that on its long journey 
It reminded him of a curious animal exploring a new area and being unable to decide whether to wander left, right, or straight on. And so it had decided to go in all directions. He recalled the old saying about an apple peeling. It claimed that if you threw a section of apple peel over your shoulder, it would always land in the shape of some section of the Mississippi River. No matter how higgledy-piggledy the shape of the peeling. Turning his thoughts back to the book in his hand, Charles remembered the river's confusing shape was one of the things which had made Samuel Clement's job as a steamboat pilot much more difficult than the young writer had ever thought possible. Charles settled back on the chair and opened the book. Some of his favourite passages had been highlighted. The book began with Samuel's early fascination with the Mississippi and the vessels which travelled along its length. Despite his father being a justice of the peace, the young Samuel had no desire to join him in that profession. Even though he didn't know exactly what he was going to do on the great river, he had no doubts that his future lay that way. Samuel wasn't the only person in this town who'd been fascinated by the steamboats and the river. Charles came upon the page which described the town where Samuel lived and how sleepy it was before a steamboat appeared on the horizon. How no one was paying attention to the magnificent Mississippi rolling its mile-wide tide along, shining in the sun, the dense forest on the other side. But then, presently, a film of dark smoke appears above one of those remote points. Instantly a dreamer, famous for his quick eye and prodigious voice, lifts up the cry, Steamboat a-comin', and the scene changes. The town stirs. The clerks wake up. A furious clatter of drays follows. Every house and store pours out a human contribution, and all in a twinkling the town is alive and moving. Drays, carts, men, boys, all go hurrying from many quarters to a common centre, the wharf. Assembled there, the people fasten their eyes upon the coming boat as upon a wonder 
they are seeing for the first time. And the boat is a rather handsome sight too. She is long and sharp and trim and pretty. She has two tall, fancy-topped chimneys with a gilded device of some kind swung between them. A fanciful pilot house. Glass and gingerbread perched on top of the Texas deck behind them. The paddle boxes are gorgeous, with a picture or with gilded rays above the boat's name. The boiler deck, the hurricane deck, and the Texas deck are fence and ornamented with clean white railings. There is a flag gallantly flying from the jackstaff. The furnace doors are open and the fires glaring bravely. The upper decks are thick with passengers. The captain stands by the big bell, calm, imposing, the envy of all. Great volumes of the blackest smoke are rolling and tumbling out of the chimneys. The captain lifts his hand. A bell rings. The wheels stop. Then they turn back, churning the water to foam, and the steamer is at rest. Then such a scramble as there is to get aboard, and to get ashore, and to take in freight, and to discharge freight, all at one and the same time. Ten minutes later, the steamer is underway again, with no flag on the jackstaff, and no black smoke issuing from the chimneys. With the occasional admiring glance at the river, Charles read more of the book. Not for the first time, he felt admiration for the young Samuel and his determination, which finally got him a job aboard a steamboat. And, after years of training, he became a pilot. He would often sail a steamboat on its commercial route between St. Louis and New Orleans. Yet, the twisting and turning of the river didn't help Samuel in the learning of his trade. Charles turned to another page, which detailed a conversation between a perplexed young Samuel and his mentor as they discussed the confusing shape of the Mississippi. His mentor had explained to Samuel, You see, this has got to be learned. There isn't any getting around it. A clear starlight night throws such heavy shadows 
that if you didn't know the shape of a shore perfectly, you would claw away from every bunch of timber because you would take the black shadow of it for a solid cape. Then there's your pitch-dark night. The river is a very different shape on a pitch-dark night from what it is on a starlight night. Then there's your grey mist. You take a night when there's one of these grisly, drizzly, grey mists. And then there isn't any particular shape to a shore. A grey mist would tangle the head of the oldest man that ever lived. Well then, different kinds of moonlight change the shape of the river in different ways. You see... Oh, don't say any more. Please, Samuel had implored. Have I got to learn the shape of the river according to all these 500,000 different ways? If I tried to carry all that cargo in my head, it would make me stoop-shouldered. No, you only learn the shape of the river, and you learn it with such absolute certainty that you can always steer by the shape that's in your head. And never mind the one that's before your eyes. Very well, I'll try it. But after I've learned it, can I depend on it? Will it keep the same form and not go fooling around? The Mississippi also had a tendency to change direction. In a matter of hours, thanks to cutoffs, when the river would decide to take a shorter route. Charles read Samuel's views on the matter. A cutoff plays havoc with boundary lines and jurisdictions. A man living in the state of Mississippi today, and a cutoff occurs tonight, and tomorrow the man finds himself in his land on the other side of the river within the boundaries and subject to the laws of the state of Louisiana. Charles put the book away and stood up. He strolled over to the metal railings and rested his hands on it. The city had been left fully behind now and the view across the river comprised of lush forests with tall trees which swayed in the gentle wind. A warm breeze brought the hint of pine to Charles. As he inhaled the refreshing scent, he wondered if Samuel Clemens had smelled the same fragrance all those years ago. The Mississippi waters lapped gently against the wooden structure of the steamboat as she glided along. The relaxing sound of the paddle wheel at the opposite side of the vessel was audible above the low conversations of the other passengers. A bird's call sounded out. 
Charles looked skyward and was amazed to see a majestic eagle soaring above the boat, its brown feathered wings opening fully as it dipped and soared through the air. Movement at the edge of the riverbank caught his eye. An otter's grey head emerged from the water. It gave Charles a curious look before disappearing back beneath the river. So quick was the otter's appearance that Charles wondered if he'd imagined it. The Marie Belle continued her slow and steady journey along the majestic river. The thick forest gave way to open fields and farmland. Some workers in the fields paused in their work to look at the steamboat. A couple of men lifted their hats and waved them in the boat's direction. Along with the other travellers, Charles raised his hand in a return greeting. An announcement came over the loudspeaker to inform everyone the captain would be holding a talk at the front of the boat. Charles joined his fellow passengers as they gathered to face the smiling captain. He was clad in a pristine white uniform. The captain gave them a warm welcome before telling them how the Marie Belle held a special place in her heart. The captain proceeded to tell them about a competition which had been held in the late 1840s. It was to design a new steamboat which would be built in New Orleans. Many entries came forward, including one from a young woman who'd recently moved to New Orleans from a small town in France. No one in her family knew she'd submitted the design, or that she was even interested in steamboats. Such was the social attitude surrounding women at the time. The woman decided to use a man's name when sending her design in. To her utter delight, she won the competition. The captain cast a smile at her passengers and said, Alas, when her real identity was discovered, her design was disqualified. The runner-up was given the prize instead. A young architect by the name of Nathan Taylor got to design the boat. But the young woman didn't give up easily. She would visit the dock where the boat was being built and offer her an asked-for opinion on what the vessel should look like. For a while, the architect did his best to ignore her and often escorted her back to her family home. As soon as the architect had gone, she would rush back to the dock and offer more thoughts on the steamboat's construction. 
like all good stories, the couple bickered for a while, before seeing the value in each other's opinion. Many of the women's designs were used in the building process. It wasn't long before the couple's mutual respect turned to love. The architect, Nathan Taylor, proposed to the young woman on the day of this steamboat's maiden voyage. According to Nathan's original design, the name of the steamboat was to be the Mississippi Maid. But as you know, that isn't the name of this amazing boat. Marie Bell was used, which was the young woman's name. The captain paused for a few moments. And she was my ancestor. My four times great-grandmother. Not only was this steamboat named after her, but she was one of the few women who got to pilot a steamboat. It's a tremendous honor for me to be sailing this vessel today. The captain talked some more about the boat's history and her recent renovation work. Photographs were passed around, including a faded sepia one of Marie Bell and her husband. Charles could easily see the resemblance between the image of Marie Bell and the captain. A short while later, the captain said farewell and returned to her sailing duties. Charles's mind was now gently whirring, filled with dreams of the past, and what it might have been. How differently may this area of the world have developed without the steamboat? The Mississippi stretches wide and far from northern Minnesota the Gulf of Mexico. Looking from one bank to another, it seems impassable. The land around the river is often rural and wild, boggy or forested. Steamboats turn the Mississippi River from an obstacle, dividing the land, to a valuable passage allowing the settlements on the riverbanks to multiply and flourish. Steamboats carry trade along the river, supplying communities and bringing new settlers to the fertile lands of the Mississippi Delta. After the development of the railroads from the 1900s, the need for this valuable transportation faded. Many steamboats were retired, but the showboats remained. These were boats of leisure, whose passage was announced to anyone on the riverbanks by the soft sound of music that drifted from their theatres and dining rooms. 
The steamboat today is not used so much as a highly practical transport vessel, but as an instrument of leisure. An opportunity to take a lazy trip away from the city, cruising along the seemingly endless and impossibly vast Mississippi River. Charles hoped that this tradition of the softly floating, richly furnished, elegant, and refined party boat would never end. As the sky grew darker, Charles joined his companions at the front of the steamboat to watch the oncoming sunset. Drinks were passed around and blankets offered to anyone who needed them. Charles watched as the sky lit up with shades of orange. It seemed to glow with a deeper orange than he had ever seen before. Looking ahead over the river bend, the unpopulated wilderness between Charles and the setting sun seemed endless and inviting. Swathes of indigo began to color the sky, and a handful of stars appeared, calling birds in the trees fell silent. The paddle wheel came to a stop, and the Marie Belle slowed until she came to a rest. Chatter ceased. The air was still and quiet. Charles focused his ears on the gentle lap of the river and the steady trill of the grasshoppers resting in the long grass of the river bank. He lowered himself onto a reclining seat and gazed at the night sky. The stars were remarkable. The dark sky was filled with shimmering clusters of faraway stars, bright beacons memorialized in the sky. Charles posited whether he was looking at the exact same stars Samuel Clements once had gazed upon. He thought of the finely dressed gentlemen and women that came before him, floating on this very river and watching the sky. He thought too of the traders, sailors and dock workers, the laborers who sat on their own decks, taking a break after a long day, soaking in the peace and quiet of the vast, twinkling darkness above them. He thought of the adventurers and unknowing settlers 
and of Marie Belle herself, all enjoying the splendor and solitude of the Mississippi wilderness and the mobilizing promise of the steamboat itself. He could feel the history of the golden age of steamboats surrounding him. The vessels, the people from the past, the journeys they made, and the adventures they'd had. And as he looked out through the hazy evening air, he could feel the magic of the magnificent Mississippi River itself enveloping him like a comforting blanket.